Making It Plain, a podcast dedicated to discussing real issues that impact Black communities, Black families, and Black women. Your host, Dr. Key, is dedicated to discussing Black issues in a way everyone can relate. Welcome to Making It Plain with Dr. Key. I have with me today Nisha Himes, and she is an advocate um, against, you know, domestic violence, spreading awareness, and the founder of the Grow Foundation in Virginia. And so welcome, Nisha. Thank you for having me, Dr. Key. I appreciate it. I am so excited um, to speak with you today. I think this topic is near and dear to me. And I want to get um, just a little bit more insight about you before we kind of dig into some of the, the issues and, and topics that we need to talk about, which is domestic violence. But you are, are the founder of the Grow Foundation. So can you tell me a little bit about that and how you got that started? Yes. So Grow Foundation, Grow is an acronym for Girls Recognizing Our Worth, and it is a 501c3 nonprofit. It's registered here in Virginia, as well as my native state of New Jersey. And we provide assistance to victims, victim survivors in domestic violence situations to help connect them with resources that can help them rebuild their life during and after abuse. It's a small grassroots nonprofit. So we do a lot of the work ourselves, you know, boots on the ground. So I'm the founder, yes, but there are plenty of days where I'm picking up donations, dropping off donations, um, bagging, emergency getaway kits, talking to survivors, just whatever is needed, along with a very just awesome team of people that work with me all on a volunteer basis. We all have full-time jobs Mm -hmm. and we do this work because we love it. It is four years old as of August 25th. It just turned four Mm -hmm. and no pun intended, but it's growing, you know? So I'm just really excited for the work that has been done so far and the work that we will continue to do Mm -hmm. and just to keep going. That's the model just to keep going. And we provide assistance like, um, let's see, if you need food, if you need clothing, we try to connect with those resources because when you're a survivor, when you're in a situation like that and you don't know where to go, you don't know who to call, it's very overwhelming. Or if you call resources in a community and it's like 10, 15 different places you call and you get 13, 14 different, we can't help you. We don't have room. We don't have finances. That's very, it's not only stressful, it's very, it just makes you feel like, why did I even ask for help? So we play that, that liaison where we can make those calls for them. So we can say, Hey, listen, we talked to five shelters. Four of them don't have room. This shelter is waiting for you to give them a call so that you can do an intake application. And that's how we get that, you know, Mm -hmm. taking care for them. So it's just whatever we can do to help bridge that gap. That's what we'll do. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that I admire about you starting this, this, this project is that you share a lot of your story and you have basically reconciled with the story to really share it so eloquently. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I'm a survivor of domestic violence. I was in a toxic relationship, violent, um, for just about five years. And knowing what I know now, I know that there were a lot of red flags that I either didn't know were red flags or chose to ignore as red flags. We kind of brush it off and say, okay, we're being dramatic or we're overreacting or this person is just this way for a day. Maybe I made them upset. Maybe they just had a bad day at work. So just brushing a lot of things off. And with abuse, it's so gradual. You don't even realize you're in it. I tell people all the time, by the time you realize nine times out of 10 that you're in a domestic violence or intimate partner violence situation, you've been in it already. So because it's a gradual process, right? It's the control, it's the manipulation, it's the isolation. It's the monopolizing all of your time and not wanting you to do the things that you love or hang out with your friends and your family. It eventually escalated to emotional and verbal abuse. So the name calling, the being disrespectful, um, people don't, a lot of people don't realize like the silent treatment is a form of, you know, 
emotional abuse. So if you just randomly stop talking to your partner for no reason and you leave them questioning, well, what did I do? What did I say? What should I have done? What should I have said? And then eventually escalated from there into physical abuse. So it's all of the components. So with abuse, you know that a lot of times it's simultaneously occurring different types of abuse. So by the time it escalated to physical abuse, it was, I mean, I was already mentally, emotionally just completely broken down. Mm -hmm. And what made me leave was not all of the verbal and emotional just assaults and years of just being demeaned and humiliated and embarrassed and things like that. Not the physical abuse, but it was during an argument where he called my mother and my sisters. This was an interracial relationship. And he called my mother and my sisters a nigger mm-hmm. in this argument. And that's what made me leave. And when I tell people that, I remember this interviewer was like, so essentially you cared about your mother and your sisters more than you did yourself. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. So your story is uh, very familiar. I was in a relationship for nine years. Wow. um, And I was married, you know, and I had young kids. And like you said, I didn't even know I was in a toxic relationship. And some of the red flags is is you think about it now, you're like, I should have known that. It was, um, you think that a person is being protective of you or they're taking up for you and- They're constantly on edge to protect you. And you think that's safe. You think that's safety. Um, Not realizing that, you know, that's a red flag. Like no one really is that controlling, that protective, you know, having to show it aggressively all the time. Right. Um, And then it turns into emotional abuse. Um, It turns into physical abuse, you know. And for me, um, emotional abuse was, you know, not being spoken to, but always walking on eggshells. Like mm-hmm. first time I come home angry right. every single day. Yeah. You're like constantly, you just can't be happy because um, they're not happy, right? And so you you just feel trapped in an unhappy situation. And one of the biggest things I realized something was wrong when he didn't want me to see my mother. He didn't want me to see my family for holidays. He wanted me to stay in the house. And I'm like, just stay in the house, not see my parents. I mean, it was a big argument. It was locking the doors. It was, you can't take the kids. I mean, it was really drawn out for me just to go see my family. Right. Um, and so it was very sort of gradual. At first it was protection. Then it was, you know, emotional. And then it was, I want to isolate you by yourself and just have you here. Then it was, I want you to only wear dresses. I don't want anyone to see your shape or anything. You need to wear dresses every day. And that was like completely, I love clothes. So that was completely, for me, you know, it was a fight. Like that is when I started to push back. Like, no, I'm I'm wearing clothes. And then that's when it got physical and he headbutted me. And when I was headbutted, of course, that that was a minor concussion. Right. Um, but I still stayed because yeah. I had kids. It, I didn't leave not long after that. Um, because then it went to, I don't have money. Right. And so I'm going to keep all the money and I'm not paying no bills or anything like that. And for me, if I can't provide for my kids, it's a wrap, I'm gone. And so maybe two weeks after being head bunny, I left. And people didn't know what was, no when I left, it was like, what, you leaving? Like, that's a surprise that you're leaving because no one really knows what you're going through unless right. you share that part. And I think that is very common for people right. that they suffer in silence. Right. Right. And it sounds like your pro your organization really helps those that are suffering. Right. You we know? try to. And just sometimes people, I'll never forget getting an intake application. So on our website, if you need assistance, um, you can go to the tab where it says contact, and then you'll see like an intake application. And this helps us get an idea of the situation, the lethality of it, to be able to understand the resources that you need to be connected with. Mm -hmm. And I remember this young lady, she filled out an intake application and all she asked was for someone to talk to. She said, I don't need, she said, I have a house. I have a car. I have a job but I'm just getting out of this relationship and I don't know what to do. And I really just need someone to talk to. I can't talk to my friends. I can't talk to my family because the friends, the people who don't understand, they say things like, Oh, well, girl, you should have left 
years ago or if it was that bad why did you stay you know and then you got the family who loved this person oh he was such a good guy couldn't you have just worked it out and all these things so she had no one to talk to and that broke my heart just like you got to reach out to an organization just to have someone to talk to because mm-hmm. no one in your family or in your circle can be that sounding board for you mm-hmm. and that's a lot of things with the organization we do community awareness and outreach I'm very, I like to consider relatable. I don't really sugarcoat, you know what I mean? I, I'm very transparent because I feel like I didn't go through that. If I went through that and all I did was keep that and didn't do anything with it and didn't use my testimony to help someone else, then I feel like it was in vain. And, you know, as survivors, you can tell as much or as little as your, of your story as you want. But I feel like for me, I'm supposed to take that and help people. And if I don't, then I'm not fulfilling my purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to, to tell your story. I, yes. I spoke with another person who was suffering from intimate partner violence um, and some other violence. And she so eloquently could tell her story, but she said <laughs> it took years of counseling to get there because, yeah. you know, telling your story sometimes means reliving those experiences and you have right. to be very comfortable um, being able to share that. Um, and so, you know, sometimes this happens where people are very young. Right. And again, they don't know what to do. And I'm going to use myself as example. I was in high school, Mm -hmm. um, ninth grade, and I met a 12th grader and you know, a ninth grade, you meet a senior, right. You think you got it going on. You think you've made it right. And, um, I didn't know this 12th grader was controlling. I didn't know anything about the 12th grader, but the 12th grader was trying to get me to come to his house. And he like lived in the projects and I was scared to go there because I hadn't been there. to the side of town I had never been to. Um, and so I wouldn't go. And he would begin to like stalk me. He would get on a bus and ride the bus like very far. I live way far, like on the west side of town. I was in Detroit and, and he lived on the east side of town. Mm-hmm. And he would get on the bus like every day and like stalk me, like call me names, talk about me on the bus, follow me all the way home. The bus drivers, nobody would say anything. And it was day after day after day. Right. And he wouldn't stop. So I decided, okay, if I go to his house, maybe he'll leave me alone. Right. I went to his house and he wanted me to stay there. When I say stay there, he wanted me to live there. Never to leave, never to go home, to be there in his house. So you were just supposed to live there? I was supposed to be, I don't even know what he was thinking, like, honestly. Um, and I I got, I left, I got away, I left, started running, and he started shooting at me. Like, it was serious. And I didn't tell anybody, because I didn't know who to tell. Right. That was the first person I liked. I'm like, he's in the 12th grade, he goes to the school. You know, who do I talk to? Who do I tell this story to? Right. And the only way I got out of that situation was my dance teacher said, something's not right with you. And she said, what's going on? And I told her what happened. And once someone found out and spoke to him, he never bothered me again. But that was like, a, a to me, I don't know how long the time frame was, right. but it felt to me, like thinking back on it, it felt like, a year. And I know it wasn't a year, but it felt like a year. So, you know, how, how are you, maybe, do you hear stories of children? How are younger people experiencing violence? So domestic violence, intimate partner violence is very common Mm -hmm. with our youth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, statistics, you can only go with I mean, what is being reported, but it's reported that it's 1.5 million per year in the United States as far as teenagers. And it's so, I think with social media and we've normalized like toxicity and we've normalized Mm -hmm. these types of behaviors like, oh, this person must really like me if they're yoking me up in the locker, in the locker room or in the hallway because I like somebody's post. 
This person must really like me. And I've heard young girls say this, you know, they must really like me if they're preventing me from talking to my friends of the opposite sex or they're going on my social media and saying, why did you like this person's picture or share this person's picture? Mm -hmm. And when I talked to kids in high school prior to COVID, they would say things like that, like, oh, that's just what they do. You know, that's just that's what relationships are. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. When I've spoken to kids at schools and it's like, this is normal. And I remember speaking at this high school and I did this presentation, I called it hashtag relationship goals. Mm -hmm. And I told this story about, and it's a true story. It was this circling on social media. It was this beautiful girl. She was like 22 years old and her boyfriend had tattooed her entire face like on his back. Mm -hmm. So he had this huge tattoo of his girl on his back. I think they had a child together. And that picture went viral. Everyone was hashtagging it. Relationship goals. Oh, this is the kind of love I want. Oh, why? My man need to do this for me, blah, blah, blah. And it was especially like like younger. Yeah. Early teens, late teens, 20s, stuff like that. But really, he was abusing this woman. And he ultimately wound up taking her life. He strangled her. And when it came out that he killed her, people were so surprised, like, oh, my God, they look so happy. And it's like, well, that just the fact that he got that tattoo of her face on his back to me. And I don't know if it's just because the work Mm -hmm. I do, but it's like alarming to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like like a your mind type of thing, you know, and like, I, like you're idolizing that person. Right. Like yeah. one of that, one of those, I can't live without you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was really in a young lady's name was Tony Wells. Oh. And it was just so sad. And when I'm talking to these kids and I'm like, tell me what's, what's relationship goals. And you're hearing girls say, Oh, if my man, you know, if he don't talk to no other females, he only talked to me. And, and the boys are like, if my girl let me like, she got to let me see her phone when I ask her. And I'm like, no, 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 this is toxic. This is, these are red flags. You don't own anyone. It's not, you're not property. They're not your property. And when I talk about things like digital abuse, which is so common with the youth where it's, let me see your phone, delete all your male friends, delete all your female friends, give me your password, um, calling you incessantly, just over and over. Why didn't answer my call? Where were you? Yeah. Yeah. Who were you talking to in class? And all that stuff. So it's just really common. And that's why I have a heart for the youth. And just because I feel like if we can tell them what to look for, what red flags are, um, what's not, what you think is love, what you think is affection and all that is really toxic and controlling. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can help prevent it down the line. And a lot of these kids are seeing it in their own home. So it's become normalized. Yeah. If this is how you accept love, if this is how you give affection by being aggressive and violent, then that's what you're going to put out and accept from the world as well. So true. I work with um, teen girls in Jamaica. I have a self-esteem development program. And when I go there, it's so important to help them realize their own worth, you know, build up their self-esteem because the girls that I work with are teen moms. Wow. And typically they are pregnant by older men. Older. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Older men. And so it's a lot of about being able to have someone to take care of you, to be able to provide for you. There's a lot of low self-esteem there. And then they use social media so much that I can remember a girl saying, I can't wait till I get older. I want to have my butt done. I'm going to have my breast done. I mean, they want to have surgery because they they automatically think that the way they look is mm-hmm. not okay that, that, right. you know, um, and so it's a lot of low self-esteem. And so I see that in, you know, even youth here in the States, you know, it, even if they have a baby or not, the so low self-esteem is there and they're being validated by the internet right. or, they're, or they're looking at social media and they're like, oh, you know, I want to be like this person, assuming that the life that a person represents on social media is their right. actual life. Right. And it's not their actual life. You can be I could tell you a story I want to tell you with with an image, 
And you don't know the real story about the person or that person's real journey. I can be whoever I want to be on social media, right? And they idolize that. And so they, I also idolize the boys the same way. Um, And I also think that it's something, and I know, I know you're married now and happily married. And Mm -hmm. you guys had an anniversary, right? Yeah, no, um, no, his birthday. He had a birthday. (laughs) He had a birthday, yeah. I saw it. I saw it. But I think, you know, when you're in these relationships, it's something that you're looking for that helps you to choose a person who is sometimes, you know, has those red flags and stuff. In order to find a mate that is the right mate for you, you have to change what you're looking for. Right, right. That that draw you to sort of this this, this ideal, this person that, that has all these, problems and control. Because for me, I think it was safety. And I thought that safety was this man who um, stood up for me, who was trying to protect me at all times. But really, that was control hidden as safety. And I was actually looking for that. You know, I was seeking that kind of safety. But safety can can look totally different. It looks totally different right now at 42 than it looked at 21 when I initially got married, right? Um, and I think our girls don't know what's a, what what they really want. Right. Sometimes they're like, oh, I want a bad guy. Oh, I want a popular guy. He's popular. Oh, he looked like he has money. I want the one with money. I want the one that dressed like, oh, he has nice gym shoes. You know, the, the determining factors for the relationship it's totally different and right. based on a lot on those insecurities and that low self-esteem. Right. Um, and also I think we're idolizing mm-hmm. the person that they date. Right? right. So like, he's all that. He looks so good. So because he looks so good and he's all of that, I have to do whatever he says and be whatever he wants me to be instead of really being yourself, which right can feel like bondage when you're in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I do work with adults as well. And I wanted to know, just, in, you know, in your experience, what holds women back from leaving? Mm-hmm. What are some of the main things that keep women from leaving? Because they always say, I'm not helping her because she's just going to go back. Right, right, right. You know, that's a common thing. Something I always say, and especially I've been saying it a lot this month because I've been doing a lot of top top talks about this very topic, is that when you've become used to functioning in dysfunction, it's your normal. So it's like that fear of the unknown. You know, I've talked to women who have said, and it's it's lack of resources. It's and a lot of us, if we just had to get up and start our life over today with nothing but the clothes on our back and maybe a duffel bag, could we really do it? Could you do it if you had children or pets or responsibilities? You know, if you had no family, no friends in the area, if you had no resources in the community. So it's kind of like a, well, what do I do? Where do you expect me to go? Who do you expect to help me? Mm-hmm. But then also... Sometimes people don't even know they're in a toxic relationship. So there's that functioning and dysfunction. If you only associate domestic violence, intimate partner violence with bruises, and you're like, well, this person don't hit me. It's not as bad as this other one. I know some of my girls, they getting punched in the face. It's down the third. That ain't happened to me. He just called me a bitch sometimes. Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'm not going through that. I would never go through that. And then you don't look at yourself like a victim. I know that. If you would have told me, I would have never. I remember being 20, 21, like, I wish somebody would put their hands on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. being at a, having friends over when I was early 20s for like that version of Netflix and chill back then, but having friends over, we was having food, watching movies, things like that. And a friend of mine, her and her boyfriend at the time got into an argument and he slapped her in front of me, like knocked her off the couch. And it was just kind of like, you're 21 years old and I had never seen domestic violence. I had never seen my friends or heard of anybody. This is something old people went through. This is something that 
that people who didn't look like me went through. Like you just think it happens to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And here we were young and, you know, just out of high school, college, lifetime, like life and things like that. And you're like, what is happening right now? And then she, when I said something to her, I remember saying that, why didn't you just leave statement that I hate now? But I was like, well, girl, leave him, you know, leave. And this was the next day. And she was like, you know, mind your business. Everything is fine. He's sorry. Just leave it alone. And I never brought it up to her again. And we never talked about it again. And now I know that I should have never said the, why don't you leave? Right. Could have said, you know, what I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned for your safety. You know, what can I help you with? What what can I do? I could have documented injuries if I saw them. I could have listened to her, just let her vent without being judgmental or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think we don't leave because we don't know that we're in an abusive relationship. We don't know that it's toxic. I think we don't leave because we love this person and hope that if we love them long enough, if we love them hard enough, if we be that loyal person, especially if the the abuser is, whether it's male or female, especially if, you see, you can this in the back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Especially if they've had trauma in their background. So then you're you're like, oh, they're broken. I can't leave them like everybody else has left them. I got to be the one to fix them. And really, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And you just hope that you can change a person. And then it's also just a lack of resources, lack of education, whether it's the community or the survivor going through it themselves and knowing what domestic violence is and how it needs to be addressed. I think you hit on an appointment, a, a very important point, you know, and I really want to give our listeners um, some ways in which they can actually support a person who is going through um, intimate partner violence, domestic violence situation, how they can support a friend or a family member? What what things should they be doing? What things should they be asking? First and foremost, I would say, listen, you know, listen without judgment. Open your ears and your heart is something I'll often say as well. You may not understand why that survivor is staying in that situation, but the survivor is the expert in their situation. That is a quote I remember hearing, and it just stuck with me. That survivor is the one living in that situation every single day, navigating through hell, essentially, every single day, just trying to make it to the next day. So nobody knows that situation more than the person living in it. Mm -hmm. So I think we should listen without judgment, Mm -hmm. be willing to hear them out. Mm -hmm. And if they choose to go back, then you may not like it. You may not understand it, but you have to respect it. And let them know that you can, you will be that sounding board for them. You know, well, I'm here when you're ready to talk. It's all about planting seeds because domestic violence is not black and white. You don't just fix it in a day. So if you can just plant a seed, you know what? You deserve better. I'm concerned for you. When you're ready to talk, I'm here. There's no judgment. Let me know where you want to go, when you can go, and I'll make it happen. There's the offering resources, looking up the National Domestic Violence Hotline or local agencies in the community. There is helping to safety plan. Okay, here's a quote. If you're in trouble and you can't call the police, if you're in trouble and you need me to come over or call the police for you, here's a code word. You know, if you text me pizza, then I know something is wrong and I need to send the cops over to your house. Maybe keep an emergency bag in the trunk for them. Help stash money. If they have to put away $5 every week, $10 every week. And Hey, can you hold this for me? I can't hide it in the house because he or she will find it. Then that's what you do. Mm -hmm. It's documenting injuries. If you see it, maybe you saw your friend, your colleague come to work and they have bruises. You ask them what's what happened. They're like, Oh, I, I tripped. I fell. Mm -hmm. So you just document that whether you make a note on your phone, email yourself on this day, Sarah came to work. She had a bruise on her arm. She said she tripped and fell. Next week, Sarah came to work, said she had a black eye, said she ran into the door. Just little things like that because you don't know when you'll need this information or when this person will need this information. And then I would say self-care for yourself because being a sounding board, listening Mm -hmm. to your friend, we've all been there where you've had a friend telling you the same stuff over and over, whether it's 
domestic violence or whether it's just they're with some knucklehead partner who's not treating them right. And they're like, you know, they're sorry. I don't know why I keep going back. And don't be that, oh, I don't want to hear no more. I don't want to hear it. But know when to self-care because there is such a thing as compassion fatigue when you're just so tired and that vicarious trauma is just being put on you and you're being that sounding board and it's draining you to the point where you can't pour from an empty cup. If I have nothing left to give because you've been in my ear every day with everything depressing and traumatic and all of that stuff, I don't know how to be there for you because I'm emotionally drained. So you got to remember to take care of yourself if you're that friend for that person. Mm-hmm. I think that's very helpful, helpful advice because a lot of times friends don't know how to be that friend. Yeah. But I think I will also add to if you are a survivor of a situation and you have a friend that's going through the same situation and they are wearing on you with their situation mm-hmm. that there can that's be triggers. Yes, there are triggers and you have to realize when you're being triggered and you have to protect yourself because, you know, this causes PTSD. We don't think about um, PTSD oftentimes with domestic violence, but it does. Um, It causes PTSD. It can cause depression. You can be triggered. You can start living their their um, situation. Their violence can be lived through you. And so it's okay to be selfish in that regards where. You have to protect yourself. Right. You have to be able to say, look, I want to be there for you, but I really have to take care of myself because your situation is starting to now trigger the emotions and feelings yeah. from, from what I've been through. Um, and so that's okay too, because, yeah. you know, it's triggering. It's triggering. Yeah. It's a good point because I struggle with that mm-hmm. sometimes just because one, you know, this is what I do and I don't just do it for my nonprofit. It's in my nine to five work as well. So it's dealing with domestic violence and hearing horrific things and seeing horrific things like all day Mm -hmm. and then getting off work and hearing it and trying to give your best self to the survivors who call you after five o'clock, you know? And then when I realize, and I'll take a step back and I have to look at myself because I'm like, what is wrong with me? Because it got to a point in the spirit of transparency, when people would call and I would literally just put my head in my hands, like, I don't, I don't want to take this call. Like, I don't want to have this conversation. I literally cannot have this conversation right now. And that's not fair to not only the person who is calling for help, but it's not fair to me either. Mm -hmm. So I just have to, that boundary and I had to learn about that self-care. So, and I don't do it as much as I should. Boxing is really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always just therapeutic, but I don't do it as much as I should nearly. Mm-hmm. So that's something that, you know, as I'm telling other people, self-care, self-care, self-care is something I have to work on myself. Yeah. Cause I saw you in the ring. You gotta, you gotta get in the ring. You have to practice. You have to practice self-care. Yeah. It is. One thing that I was telling someone, the hardest thing for me to do is to be all that I am and practice self-care. Like trying to be whole is a whole process. I didn't even know how much work it took to just take care of me because I've never just focused on self-care. I always focus like the job, I will wake up and it'll be work. But right. that is that is truly no way to live. And that is the way to have, you know, you can end up in an early grave that mm-hmm. route. And so I had to change my thought process. And I'm saying this to our listeners, but to you as well, like, you know, I think I'll get an email at midnight. I'll get an email at seven in the morning. Um, but just because I got the email don't mean I have to exactly. respond to it. Right. You know, some calls can go to voicemail. Yes, people need you. And it's, it's, it's great that you do this work. But if you are not whole, there is nothing left to give. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I started doing lately is reading a book. I'm talking about book for pleasure. I, if I don't read my two chapters in the morning, nobody not getting anything from me. Like I'm getting yeah. two chapters in. And just trying to change my mindset. I book appointments to work out with myself. Like I mark it off as an appointment. Like this is my workout appointment. Um, and it's just a totally different way of thinking and being 
but it's a holistic. It makes you feel so much better. Right. And so I hope that our listeners are also thinking about that. Yes, we have to be here for the people that need us the most, the most vulnerable people. But the reason why many of us do the work that we do is because we have been through the trauma before. Right. right. And we have to protect ourselves because we have been through it before. Um, and so I want to, you know, before we, you know, end our conversation, I want to make sure that we also talk to women that, one, they may be listening. They may not have known that they were in an abusive relationship and they listen to us and they like, um, I may mm-hmm. be in an abusive relationship. Because right. to be honest with you, I never called my relationship an abusive relationship. I never um, thought of it as domestic violence when I was in it. Years later, looking back on you, like, okay, yeah. And, right. and years later, looking back on my childhood and that experience my childhood, I'm like, that was violence. Like, I didn't know it. I know I was trapped. Um, I knew that the stuff that was happening was crazy, but I didn't ever look at it as, as intimate partner violence or domestic violence. I never looked at it as that, right? So right. sometimes we're in situations and we don't have the language to put with our experience. So people may be listening to us and they're like, shit, that sounds like the life that I'm living right now. Right. What would you tell those people who just now realize that I'm in the middle of some mess? That's the first step. What I, this is cool. I love quotes. I love words. Right. So I don't know if it's the poet in me, you know, um, but I love them. And I saw this quote and it said, in order, something about in order to tell the whole truth, you have to tell the whole lie or acknowledge the whole lie or something. So if you finally realize like, okay, I've been lying to myself that this relationship is good. I've been lying to myself that I'm being treated the way I deserve, that this is healthy. The truth is I'm being disrespected constantly. I am always walking on eggshells. I can't be whole with this person. I have to shrink myself so that this person can feel whole, then there's something wrong. So you have Mm -hmm. to look at like, am I lying to myself? And Mm -hmm. I was lying to myself for quite some time. And when you realize it, it's just like, man, damn, like, what do I do next? But that realization is just, it's the first step. Then I would say to talk to someone, talk to someone you trust, Mm -hmm. whether it is a friend, a family member, um, someone in church, but not if, not if the church person's just going to say, oh, just pray about it. That's a whole nother um, show. Oh, that, that's a whole nother episode. But, <laughs> um, but, or you call an advocate or just, you know, maybe it didn't get to that point where they have put their hands on you. Doesn't mean it's not abusive. Mm-hmm. I was in Atlanta yesterday speaking to some people about financial abuse and emotional abuse domestic violence as a whole, but particularly like financial abuse. And this woman came up to me after and she was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like she said, yeah, I was in an abusive marriage, but because he didn't put his hands on me, I just didn't think it was really like that bad. That's another thing. We got to stop comparing traumas and devaluing our trauma because it's not as bad as the next person. Just because this person is getting physically abused and harmed doesn't mean you being told you're worthless every day is not just as toxic and not just as demeaning as this person over here. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. We tend to stay in stuff because it's all like, oh, it's not as bad as the next person. I'm not going to complain. No. So yeah. if you are sitting, if you're listening to this call and through my dog barking, through the squeaky toys, <laughs> through my husband randomly what putting on faucet water, my son ringing the doorbell, my daughter doing what she's doing through all of that. If something I said, let you know, like, look, something is not right. Mm-hmm. Something is not right. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, reach out to someone. So whether that's me, whether that's the lovely Dr. Key or someone, mm-hmm. you know, you got to look at your relationship, look at yourself and mm-hmm. say, am I, am I deserving what I'm getting? Because there's a difference. Sometimes just because you're getting it doesn't mean it's something you deserve. Yeah. And I do think there are women who are now on the other side of this. They have, 
you know, maybe left their abusive relationships and they may be fearful of, you know, getting into another relationship mm-hmm. and they and they may have just said, I'm not going to be in a relationship at all. And I do want to make the disclaimer that, you know, LGBTQIA plus individuals also end up in intimate partner violence situations. Um, you know, males have mm-hmm. been abused as well. It's not just all women. Correct. But but it's people on the other side of that. And they're like, you know, afraid to get into relationships, um, afraid that they'll end up in the same situation. And what I would say to those individuals, sometimes you have to pick up the broken pieces and find out what's in you that was broken, that was attracted to a person like that. Because sometimes I think people, especially people who are predators, they look for the brokenness because they can really prey on that brokenness. Right. And if you can find your brokenness, name your brokenness, fix and repair your brokenness, and then begin to look at specifically what do you need and what do you want, you will find a person that's, that's for you. We can't lead with brokenness. Leading with brokenness ends up in more broken relationships. So what advice would you say to, you know, just a woman that's just like, okay, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to do this again. I want to try to date again. Or, you know, um, I want to find a partner again. What would you say to that person? Well, I would say I understand the hesitation. I understand the wall that's put up, the, having your guard up. I do get it. It was very hard for me in the beginning when I first met my husband because I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So, you know, here's this person, he's opening car doors and we're having great dinners and great conversation and just clicked and vibed. And I was like, okay, something is going to go wrong. As soon as we get into our first argument, he going to call me on my name or we get into a second argument. He going to swing on me like something. So I just had this guard up. And the thing about being in an abusive relationship, it's like you're always trying to measure up to this unattainable goal because that the abuser has set for you because they always want you to be more of this, less of that. And you're just mm-hmm. never enough in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So when I was dating, started dating my husband, it was almost like even if he didn't know it or didn't see it, it was always like he was on this, trying to reach this goal. And that goal was trying to overcome this wall that I put up. And I remember we went out on like this perfect date and he came back, you know, we came back to his house and he had like candles and stuff, like put candles up around the place and trying to be like real, like smooth and stuff. And when he stepped out the room, I called one of my best friends and I was crying. I was crying and I was like, because I knew I was falling for him. And I said, Some, I, when he hurts me, I'm going to be devastated. Like I've, I'm trying to let this man in, but I'm terrified, but I can't help how I feel about him. And my friend was like, he is not your ex. Like okay. he did not do this to you. And you deserve happiness. That's what, when she said that, you deserve to be happy. So these things that are happening to you, I understand having your guard up. I understand being careful, but you have to know that you deserve to be happy. So all these things that you're experiencing now, Mm -hmm. just, just be, just know that you can have this without an ulterior motive. You don't Mm -hmm. have to wait for this other shoe to drop. This is it. So I would say just, I had to learn, and before I even started dating him, I had to start dating myself. I had to like mm-hmm. learn to like being around me. I had to learn to like my own company. Mm-hmm. So the things I, the flaws that I saw, the ones that I could change, that I could work on, if I wasn't, you know, feeling myself physically, okay, get back in the gym. If it was certain things I couldn't change, then I had to learn to love them, those flaws anyway. And I had to do that before I really got into a relationship. And then by that point, when I'm opening up my heart to him, I had to know, like, look, now I know the red flags. Now I know what I won't accept anymore. And I know that there are going to be just hard road ahead. I think there should be a, a podcast one day or somebody should be do a call 
with mm-hmm. people who are in relationships with people who have survived trauma because wow. I, I imagine that it's hard for them because okay. we have had disagreements and if and he's nothing like my ex but if I even think the tone like I've the it's trigger, a trigger it's a trigger I know and I'm a, and so we've had to deal with those he's had to learn what my triggers are I've had to learn that I can't keep putting that mm-hmm. on him it the trigger is not him it's it's, it's me. the it's the it's, familiarity right. with the situation it seems or feels familiar to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing like, Mm -hmm. it could just be a, you know, me, I I, I can't take being talked to if I feel like you're trying to be condescending. And it could just be someone saying, what did you say? And just because they didn't hear me. And I'm like, what? Well, I said what I said, you know, that type of thing. And I had to really look at myself. And that's one thing I didn't do. I didn't go to therapy for... Mm -hmm. My, I tried it. I tried it while I was in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And the abuser, he would say things like, oh, she's trying to break us up. I would go after therapy and go tell him what she said. This is toxic. She said this isn't healthy. And he would brush it off and do the gaslighting and make me feel like I was tripping. Right. So I stopped going to her because he convinced me that she was trying to break us up. Right. And then after leaving that, I went to therapy maybe one time. To the same therapist that I was going to in the relationship. And I was like, I just wanted you to see that I got out that relationship and I'm healed. I'm good. Mm. And she was like, really? Like, but did you deal with, I was like, no, I'm good. I tell my story all the time. I'm speaking at churches and at jails and at schools and at seminars. I'm good. Mm. And I I think that's something I should technically like probably revisit. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, um, you can hold on to it for so long and then you got to deal with it. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, I had to go back and deal with it because it comes back up in different ways and in other situations because um, you, you only can suppress feelings and emotions for so long and, and you get energy from helping people. I get energy from helping people, um, but it, it's going to come back up later in life and you just yeah. have to deal with it. And I think. The cool part about counseling is just dealing with the trauma and moving past. Once you deal with it, you can move past it. Mm-hmm. Um, suppressing it, though, it just kind of compounds and, 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 and we think it's deep, but it come out in other ways like anxiety, mm-hmm. having panic attacks. You're like, where is this coming from? Well, you push that stuff down there for so long. It didn't go anywhere. You need yeah. to, you needed to come out and be moved. Um because, you know, like you said, you have those triggers, you know, once you deal with it, the triggers won't, won't, they won't be there because you know that they, you know what they are, you've dealt with them, um, and you don't have to worry about being triggered anymore. But counseling do help. It helps with you, you know, not burying it. So it's good to talk about it. It's, yeah. you know, like I said, you reconcile with your story because you're able to share it. It's really good to be able to share your story. But sometimes we get into the superwoman mode where we want to save everybody, right. you know? We want to keep them from going through what we went through or we want to keep them from, from experiencing it the way we experienced it. So we want to help, help, help. But the superwoman doesn't really cure our our pain it doesn't right. it doesn't take it away it just helps us to bury it deeper yeah. so i would say go before you before the anxiety creeps up because that's the other side of uh, it yeah. oh, so that's what, look i'm like oh so that's why that's been happening okay uh-huh. <laughs> yeah anxiety yeah. creep up it, it just comes out in other ways um so we have to deal with those things and it's hard and and and, and my listeners they'll probably listen to the story like what she went through what? Because they have never heard me say it or talk about it. Um, and I work with a lot of people. I just haven't, I haven't had the chance to say it. Hmm. And, and sometimes I didn't have the, the words to say to say it, right? Yeah. I didn't know, you know, if you haven't been abused for, like you said, most of your relationship, you may not even think it was abuse, right? right? And even though you know it's all these different types of abuse, but my abuse wasn't that bad. That's what you tell yourself. Right. Abuse is abuse, right? Yeah. And sharing our sharing the stories today is is probably going to help someone recognize their situations too. Yeah. So your organization, I want the listeners to know where they can donate, where they can support, 
where they can go and get help. Um, can, so can you tell them how they can find you and keep up with you? Yeah, so everything's pretty much on our website, which is www.growfoundationva.org. VA is in Virginia. And our social media links are on there. Everything from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I also, you know, I have the adult coloring book that I put out, which is doubling as my first poetry book. And so I did a lot of research and understand that adult coloring can be very therapeutic, Mm -hmm. help reduce anxiety, things like that. So I added poetry in there because that's how I first told my story via spoken word. So it's called Crowns and Couplets. So it has, it's like over 50 pages. And I'm so hyped because you can color the pages with marker and it doesn't bleed through. So there's like good quality paper (laughs) and it has poems in there. It has affirmations, Mm -hmm. but it also has quotes from other survivors and actually like a coloring book version of survivors, like real survivors. So I did it that way because it's going to be interesting to see how people color them. You know, they may color this black woman as a white woman, you know, or vice versa, or this male, they may make him with red hair and he has black hair and it just goes to show domestic violence has no face. It can look like anyone, any of us. Yeah. So that coloring book is on my website as well. And a portion of every purchase goes to Grow Foundation and our initiative to end domestic violence. And just, yeah, anything you need to know is on the website, how to find us, how to keep up with us. COVID Mm -hmm. has kind of put a damper on a lot of the events we normally do mm-hmm. because it's in person. So it's like yeah. boxing events, um, seminars, things like that. But just check us out there. We, we have some survivor stories on there. We do Survivor Sunday. Every first Sunday of the month, we feature survivor stories. So that's really inspiring. Just just whatever you want. I think I saw a picture of um, one of the survivors picture was colored that you yeah. it, and I was like I have to get on there and get yeah. a book yeah. so we definitely have to support that um, I do want to say to my listeners if you are in a situation and you are ready to leave and you're trying to figure out where to go please contact the YWCA any YWCA in your area um, and see you know what resources they have I I have partner with the YWCA and I'm so grateful for the services that they have in Virginia, like their new shelter, even though COVID has put a damper on their resources, but they do put people in hotels now. Yeah. But they can help you to make that move. If you're trying to make that move, you don't know where to go. Um, please contact YWCA or either Grow VA and someone will put you in contact with a resource to get yes. you out of your situation. Uh, we don't want you to suffer in si- silence. We want to normalize that people go through these experiences, real people, people you don't even know, mm-hmm. um, go through these experiences. So you are not alone. And thank you, Nisha, for being thank with you. us today and just sharing your insight um, with us. And that is what Dr. Key, making it plan with Dr. Key. You can follow us on Instagram. You can visit my website at thedrkey.com for more information. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Sparkman Key Consulting, LLC. Check us out at www.thedrkey.com.